thinking, I just wish she had a dog. Like, I feel like a dog would do something. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. Let's put a smile on that face. You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be and I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this episode, as mentioned last episode, we're doing an episode on L. Um, and in order to do that, uh, we have a brand new guest, um, although a guest from a place we've had guests before from the website Audiences Everywhere. We have contributing <laughs> editor Samantha Sanders. So welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. Um, so uh, before we get started, um, did you want to talk about uh, Audiences Everywhere for a little bit and tell people uh, what you guys do there or maybe what you do there? Yeah, definitely. So Audiences Everywhere is a, um, I guess you could say it's a fan site for people who love movies. Um, it's really a, a network of people who just enjoy film and enjoy writing about it um, from the perspective of, you know, film lovers. We're not um, haters. <laughs> We're not uh, snarky. Um, we do try to be funny when it's, you know, when that works. But um, uh, so uh, when we talk about when we talk about this movie, usually I have a regular co-host, uh, but we kind of talked about this and he he came up with the idea of me getting a, another guest because, you know, the, a lot of podcasters, including me and my co-host are male. Um, and I think it's important, especially in <laughs> movies like this. To get a female perspective uh, to this story, because if you know, for those who don't know about this, uh, rape plays a heavy part in this story. Um, so, for two guys to sit around and talk about, like, oh, this is what she must have been going through, and what would this mm. be like, seems seems a little odd, and maybe not as inclusive as we'd want to be. <laughs> um, so, I kind of went out on this search to find a one a female co-host. Uh, two, a female co-host who's willing to be on a podcast. Uh, and three, one who would be able to see this movie, which is not exactly a blockbuster movie that's in, you know, 25 screens at your multiplex. Right. Uh, so harder than you'd think because, uh, unfortunately, the podcast world, especially film podcast world, is pretty male-dominated. So, um, so thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. So what was your experience of watching Elle like? <laughs> Uh, it is, it's a heavy film. Um, it's a heavy experience to watch. Um, that said, it has all of the excitement of a thriller, but the whole time you're constantly, at least I was constantly second guessing myself. It's not really a film where you, you know, where you stand all the time. Um, yeah, you're, you're second guessing the characters, you're second guessing your response to the film. If, if you want to kind of be taken on a trip in a movie, this is a really good one to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think the one word I keep thinking of when I think about this movie is challenging. It's challenging in a lot of ways. Yes. It, it challenges the, the usual narrative we get of a story that involves rape. It challenges the narrative we usually get of a female-led story. Um, and I think uh, if you have a lesser actress uh, rather than uh, Isabel Huppert, I mm -hmm. think this movie really suffers. And she is, of course, getting a mm -hmm. lot of publicity, uh, maybe mm -hmm. maybe getting a Best uh, best Actress nomination. And in my mind, uh, I can't imagine mm -hmm. if I was making these awards, she's got to be at near the top of that list because it's a character who we're not even sure if we should like. And yet she's the protagonist of this story. She's she's someone who's hard to reach. And yet through her performance, I think I think in a weird way, we are charmed by her, which is a really difficult thing in a movie like this. Yeah, I mean, the entire time you're watching it, it's uh, you just don't quite know what to think of her. And I, I get the feeling that the other characters characters who are in the film who are responding to her don't quite know what to think of her um she she's a woman who wields a lot of power even though she's in a, a situation where you know the ultimate situation of being powerless um and being raped uh yeah it's it's a weird dichotomy in this movie powerless and power play a, a huge role yeah absolutely. in the whole film yeah i think one of the things that struck me also is 
after this event happens, after this rape happens, which is essentially the opening of the film. So you don't yes. you don't get to know her before. Like your first view of her is in this in this powerless role. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they explain and I don't know if you think this, but I think they explain relatively well the reasons for her not reporting this crime. Did you buy that? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's a spoiler here. Like, essentially, when she was young, her father uh, went on this, you know, neighborhood killing spree and somehow involved her in it. So she doesn't trust the police anymore. So did that did that hold water for you, her reasons for not mm-hmm. reporting this? Or were there deeper reasons for her not reporting it? You know, it's really funny that you say that because I that was the the only thing that sort of didn't ring completely true to me um, as I was watching the film, then thinking about it afterwards. Just the idea that um, for me as a woman, I, I think that one of the first things I think about when I hear about rape um, and when I hear about people reporting it or not reporting it, um, and this is not to put blame on the victim in any way, but you do think about uh, the responsibility you have towards other women, mm. the whole what if this happened to other women aspect, um, and everyone has their personal reasons um, for for reporting or not reporting. Um, so... But yeah, that was how I was emotionally responding to it as I watched. Mm. And so as as a viewer on my end, I was kind of thinking, oh, but it would be so easy. You just have to you just have to do this. You just have to. Mm. And of course, that's not the reality for anyone who's been through that. Um, It's funny, the whole notion. And I don't think we're giving anything away. um, But the whole notion, this this kind of story that her father was a serial killer or a spree killer. um, It's almost unnecessary to the film. And I it makes me want to go back and read the book. Um, to see how much of a, a part that played in the book. Um, but yeah, I, I do think the story could have been told without that said. It, it was a part of it. Um, later on in the movie where she does have contact police. And it's sort of a um, almost a, non, a non-starter. It does seem like it's pretty difficult. Um, this, not so much about the police, but about a woman who wants to have the ultimate control. Which is the thing her character uh, grapples with throughout the film. Yeah, yeah, I... Going back to what you said about this kind of unnecessary plot thread, I actually had that moment when I was watching the movie too. I think it, I think it gives us something about her character, but like you said, for the mm. actual story, it doesn't, it doesn't really add anything to it. It almost seems like mm-hmm. it's, I had these moments where I was like, "Wait, what happened? Are it, we're going there? Okay, yeah. I, I guess <laughs> like it does, it does give us this reason for her to be distant and this reason for her not to trust authority." But I felt like there's sure. maybe there's got to be a simpler way. Like it seems like there are two really interesting stories competing in this movie. Yeah. And this it, could be five movies. Right. And it almost kind of takes away from the narrative that that we're watching, which is which is really interesting and really troubling. This narrative mm-hmm. of this woman who is raped and then develops this kind of erotic fixation not only on the event but on this on this man and kind of mm-hmm. continues this process, which is not something we usually see in film because it's a real, I mean, talk about a balancing act for a writer, a director and an, and an actress. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Um, but I think the, the thing I liked about, about how she deals with this and the reasons for her not reporting is, you know, you mentioned this idea of like, what about other women? What about other people that could be hurt by mm. this person? Like that's, you know, it's, you know, it's okay if you have this fixation, you have this fantasy and you're enacting it, but, but this actually happened at the beginning of the film. This mm-hmm. is not just mm-hmm. a fantasy, but if you look at the way people interact with her and other women interact with her, she's not given a lot of care and consideration, yes. you know, I mean, because of what her father does, there's a scene where, you know, she has lunch essentially dumped on her. You know, she has mm. a really damaged relationship with her best friend and her relationship with her mother, although I think is wonderful in the crux of the film and entertaining and almost comical. Mm. It's certainly not a healthy relationship. So right. I think, you know, I think that's one of those things that makes her character most most challenging is that she doesn't care about people. <laughs> She's right. not a character who you're like, oh, well, she has this best friend and everything is great. Like, you know, the things she's doing to her best friend behind her back are pretty genuinely awful. And the way she treats her mother is also genuinely awful. So maybe she's not the type of person who even has that thought in her head of like, well, what about other people? 
But the filmmaker is so clever with that um, because there is a very specific scene where she is taking care of uh, there's an injured bird. And I think there's a very specific uh, reason the filmmaker left the injured bird scene in is because knowing her father's backstory, um, Mm. knowing that people refer to him as a psychopath and these things are genetic. You there is a part of the the time when you're watching the movie where, where you're thinking is is she could she be like her father and i i think that that's you see that she has been stunted you see that she's been um in turmoil from this childhood event and these are the ways that it affects her um she has more superficial relationships with with loved ones um and maybe she doesn't present to the world the same way that uh we're used to seeing so it challenges you're watching it to feel compassion for her character um, but it's, they've done it in such a smart way. I mean, she, you know, that she's ultimately, uh, you know, no spoilers. She's just a, a complex person like we all are. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point bringing up her, her treatment of animals. Cause you know, in the psychological realm, one of the things we know is usually the first hallmark of someone who is mm. a, you know, who would be like her father is someone who harms animals. Right. And she tends mm-hmm. to this bird and you know, she has this, she has this cat, which is, I mean, mm. <laughs> I mean, what we talked about the first scene being what it is, but it's really interesting the way it's shot because we see hardly anything when the film opens, we just see this cat watching over this horrible (laughs) act and there's even like there's even a really i mean i think you know paul verhoeven who of course also directed movies like basic instinct so he's really in his element here in this kind of sexual Mm -hmm. thriller and this kind of like we don't we don't know how we should feel about these characters he's worked with these kind of characters before and i love that like one of her first interactions is her kind of uh looking at the cat and going like you know you could have could have scratched him or something like I'm not asking I'm not asking for a lot here and it was interesting because I had that mm-hmm. actual mm-hmm. thought as I'm watching this animal watch what's happening like oh such loyalty from <laughs> this creature like just sitting there calmly so I love these moments of levity in the movie because the movie's so complex and challenging and dark they're needed and I think that's why the kind of snarkiness that mm-hmm. comes from our main character I think in a different movie would be would be something that pulls us away from the character. But I think it draws us in here, yes. which is a really great balance to have. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's funny. I don't know if you had the same thought, <laughs> that beginning scene where you're thinking, oh, I just wish she had a dog. Right. Like, I feel like a dog would do something. <laughs> yeah. I love cats, but yeah. Yeah. And, and the cat is the perfect animal for her, right? Like aloof. Yes, distant above it all like i i think that's i think that's purposeful and i'm and i'm glad mm-hmm. that's there and it's i think it says a lot about isabel Huppert's abilities that she mm. can just create this character who we should hate by all rights <laughs> but yet we were drawn that's into funny. her and care yeah, yeah exactly what's funny is that she almost convinced me you know she, there's a scene where she does she chooses to tell her loved ones about the rape afterwards and she's so blase about it so cold yeah and part of me was like oh okay well i guess this is a movie about someone moving on right um you know i was ready to follow her Mm -hmm. yeah and it definitely of course that's not how it is right i mean it's so interesting because that scene uh did really strike me it's actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire film uh because you know, it, it teaches us that we kind of we can't judge how people process things like people are going to process mm-hmm. terrible events in whatever way they see best. And if they need help, then people are there for them. But she in that scene <laughs> seems so confident. And you're just kind of like, OK, well, I guess we're moving yes. on. There's nothing to do mm-hmm. about it. I get well, she doesn't want to call the cops. That's her right. OK, let's move on and drink our wine and finish our meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, we mm-hmm. find out there becomes this kind of fixation throughout the film, um, which which I think makes her character even more complex than she already was at the beginning. Um, and I just kind of can't, Absolutely. I just kind of can't get over her performance here. Like it's just, it's so stunning. Like we, we talked about on the show about there are some roles that if you take away the actress, the movie dips so far down. Like I think, I think this movie mm-hmm. can get close to being offensive if you don't have an actress like Isabelle Huppert in this role. And I even, I've even read some, some reviews from some female critics who were deeply offended by this movie. And I was wondering if, as you were viewing it, can you understand that perspective or was there a part of you that was offended by the way this story unfolded? Um, 
offended is such a funny concept um, because sure. I, I think one of the great one of the great things about this movie is that it takes something that's a horrible experience for anyone, but it brings it to a very um, it's a very personal story. Um, and once you look at it through that lens, it's very hard to judge a character for their actions. And that's one of the great things about film is that you can just watch it unfolding without this need of having to judge it that you may have with, with people in your life, with your own life. Um, just watch it unfold. So one of the other really interesting things to me about this movie, and I think that um, Isabel Huppert really carries it well, is this notion of sort of generational echoes. There are stories with her, their, their father's story that I haven't even talked about my mother. I mean, there are cycles that are repeating themselves in, in this film uh, throughout with her character. And it's fascinating to kind of see from an overhead perspective um, that, you know, if this were your own life, you might not necessarily see these patterns. But, um, yeah, the, the way the movie approaches the, the way she she portrays this character, you are really able to notice those subtleties. And I think that's what she pulls off so masterfully. Yeah, I think the important thing, too, for me, like because I was kind of looking for this uh, in this movie, uh, this kind of like, oh, this is this something that is empowering because I'd heard that. Is this something that <laughs> is disempowering because I'd heard that. And I think the movie does a great job at not passing judgment on the main character or on yeah. other women who could have experienced this. Like this is just one – Exactly. This is – you know, this is a drop in the ocean. This is one person's story and how she dealt with it. And she's such an individual and she's gone through so many things that nobody else has. So you Mm. can't – I don't think it's trying to give this message of like, oh, well, this is the way to deal with it. It's not doing Mm, that. I don't think it's doing that at all. You know, like – and definitely I want to – Open it up to any any listeners who saw this movie and had a different experience because I do want to hear uh, more detail as far as like okay how did you how did you take this movie in because that's always interesting to me because we all bring we bring ourselves into every movie and we bring our experiences and our genders and our you know our sexual orientations whatever it is we bring it into how we watch movies so. I want to kind of open that up for people. You can contact us on Twitter, contact us on email, all that stuff. Definitely interested in hearing other viewpoints. Um, but at this point, I think I want to go to spoilers because I think we're kind of dancing around <laughs> actually talking about this movie uh, because yeah. I think anything past 30 minutes into this movie is kind of a spoiler. So I think <laughs> we're just going to go there now. Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler? That's classified. That's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So as far as spoilers, um, so we have this character of Patrick um, who she becomes fixated on um, before she's figured out, I think, who she is, who he is or what he is. Um, Mm. So what did you think about how that relationship grew? Like clearly it's not – it's not a kosher relationship. He is with someone else and she is kind of – Definitely going after him pretty pretty strong, pretty hard, and then kind of finds out that he is this man um, who raped her and then – but continues mm. this process, which I find really interesting that I, I think it says something about how we act when we get erotically fixated on people, when we get in that mode when we first want to be with someone where I think there's a lot of situations where we're mm-hmm. willing to do things that maybe we wouldn't two years down the line or when we were thinking more mm-hmm. clearly. So what did you think about how that relationship grew and changed? Well, uh, with the with the movie beginning with the rape scene, um, with a masked attacker, we should say, uh, you don't know who the, the rapist is, but you do get the feeling very early on that there are clues happening all around you. Um, but something that I, I think might be a little bit informative for men who are watching this is sort of that feeling of, the whole time you're watching, maybe the first half hour, you're thinking, oh, is it that guy? Was it that guy? Yeah. Is this guy a good guy? Is this guy a bad guy? Um, and of course, you know, for every woman, you're not going through your entire – every moment of each day thinking about those things. But it is present um, just because of, of the nature of our culture. You're thinking that, – that question of is this guy a good guy or a bad guy is one that you're constantly asking um, with acquaintances with strangers too. So it puts you on edge right from the very beginning, which I think is tremendously smart. Um, 
because it, it puts you in a very empathetic position for uh, Michelle and for women in general. That's, that's a really great point and something that that I didn't really take into account when I was watching the movie is that the first 30 to 45 minutes do feel a bit like a whodunit. Like it feels like a mystery. Yes. And I think it's really mm-hmm. interesting that it sets you up and then just kind of pulls the rug out from under you by solving the mystery about halfway through the movie. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, God, where do we go from here? Um, but but mm. what you brought up about women having to be constantly hyper aware of safety and men not having to be aware of that is a really interesting way to look at this because I think the first time through I wasn't paying as much attention. I've actually watched the movie mm. twice now. I wasn't paying as much attention to all these clues. But definitely mm. the second time through, knowing what's happening, you are kind of like really, really focused. So I think maybe the male viewing and the female viewing of this on a first time are very different. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, well, and the other thing that it too is that um, I think there's a misnomer sometimes, uh, you know, not among all men, but among some men, um, and particularly sometimes you see it with our our lawmakers, that there's a a difference between a a stranger rape and there's a difference between the rape by someone you know, and ultimately there is no difference. I mean, the the impact on your life is, is the same. So it's really interesting to see that unmasked. I mean, if you if you know who your rapist is, does that make any sort of difference in how you process a trauma like that? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. And this movie doesn't have any kind of conclusive tells. Uh, but yeah, it, it almost makes um, an inessential question seem even more you know, redundant. It, it, to me, it, it's a nice statement that it doesn't matter. It's it's a trauma you still have to process either way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those. Um... It's one of those things where the trauma is different, but it doesn't necessarily make mm. a difference in how extreme it is. It can still it's still be yeah. just as difficult. Like, you know, if you if you are attacked by a stranger, then you have to look out for everybody, right? So there's no safety. Yeah. If you're attacked by an acquaintance, then it's like, oh, do I have to think about like my own process? Why do I trust people? And and mm. is it partially my fault? Then you end up self blaming and victim blaming. So it's a different kind of process. But I think I don't think either mm. one is like, oh well, this one is worse than this one. Like they're both just absolutely terrible. So you know, there's kind of no mm-hmm. no escaping that. So um, I think the thing that haunted me most about this, and it's full of haunting images and full of moments that are absolutely terrible to to be a part of. But the very ending of this film. Where we essentially find out, you know, Patrick is is with this woman who is very religious, and mm-hmm. it's insinuated in one of the last lines of the film that she knows this is going on. She knows this is the man she's with. That yes. like, and she essentially <laughs> thanks Michelle, thanks basically like thanks for letting him in, indulge, you know, thanks for letting him get this out of his system. And I was just, yes. I mean, talk about not looking out for other women. I was just like horrified by this yes. woman. I think she's the most dangerous person in this movie. It almost like she's. Is it that charade? Did she know? The wife, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really interesting question. I, I think it, it gives you a lot to watch the, the second time through. And I think that's, I mean, that's the thing that always makes me enjoy movies more. If there's kind of more to catch on to that, that second time. Because, you know, we see her as this very mm. stoic character or maybe this very unaware character. And then to realize the whole time that she knows this is going on. I mean, you you have this scene, this actually very oddly tender scene between Patrick and Michelle, um, where he's helping her close the the kind of storm windows. And it's this very almost sweet moment mm. that turns into, you know, something romantic. Yeah, very, absolutely. Uh, and then of course later turns into something not terribly romantic. But you feel <laughs> You feel this moment as this romantic tender moment is happening like, oh, but this guy is still cheating on on his partner. How do we deal with yes. that? And now we know like – I mean not really. Like he's kind of not because she's kind of understanding of this in right. whatever way, um, which also throws into sharp relief kind of what Michelle is doing with her best friend's partner that she's you know helping him cheat. Uh, and then that, you know, this, you talked about these repetitive cycles and it's really interesting that this occurs throughout the movie, not just in her family structure, but in her romantic structure too. It's just, she's, she's doing things that she's, she's not, 
yeah, she's a mess and she's not even really comfortable with and she feels like I shouldn't be doing this, but she kind of keeps perpetuating it, which is which is an interesting mm-hmm. to look at thing to look at with her character because in her professional life, she's so in control. And I kind of love mm-hmm. that in her personal life, she's not in control at all. No, and she's one of these characters who has uh, a very specific moral code that she knows, that only she knows and that she follows, um, but it may not necessarily match the society's moral code. Um, and I think those kind of characters are always really interesting. Yeah, she definitely does, you know, go by her own rules. And luckily she's in a position of power in her life that she can actually do that. <laughs> Not mm. everybody has that that ability. Like, well, I'm just going to live by my own rules. Like, well, some of us have to, you know, work a nine to five job and <laughs> feed ourselves. She's definitely in that kind of upper class level and able to kind of run by her own rules. Um, but this is a movie I was very surprised by. Like, I knew I'd love the main performance because I think she's just absolutely mm. incredible and always is. But when yeah. I heard about kind of what this movie was about, I was already uncomfortable. Like, just hearing the synopsis, I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. This is going to be hard to watch. But I was <laughs> I was actually really um, – really surprised by this and enjoyed is the wrong word for a movie like this. I think I don't think it's a movie you enjoy, mm-hmm. but I'm really glad that I saw it and that I experienced it. And it's actually like, you know, uh, 2016 has been a really interesting year in movies, lots of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But for me, this was definitely an up. What did you think generally? Well, you know, what's funny is when I, when I started watching it, um, I, I was excited by the concept. I was expecting a vengeance movie. And that's something that I've written about for audiences everywhere before is um, kind of my love of vengeance movies. Um, and ultimately, this is not a vengeance movie. It, this is a movie about a woman coming to her own and uh, making a life for herself on her own terms. And vengeance is almost sort of off to the side. It's really not quite as important as you think it might be at the outset. Yeah, you're right. I think I I think I had misheard what this movie was about and assumed like, oh, this is about a woman who is raped and then takes her power back. And she kind of does. Yeah. Uh, but not in the yeah. way we expect, not in, you know, the kind of uh, the usual narrative we get where usually if a woman is raped in a movie, she is either she's either revenged by someone or is figure, mm. trying to figure out a way to get back at the world to get back at her rapist. And this is definitely not that movie. And I think that's something great about movies is that we can take these standard narratives and go a totally different Mm. direction. And I think the best movies we get challenge us. And this definitely, this movie is definitely a challenge. It definitely not, (laughs) not for everybody. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely falls into that category for me. Yeah. It it, usually as a woman too, there's avenging something there's usually a very physical response and in a way that with the sex there is a physicality to her sure. uh response but it's not um a woman sitting up at night with with an axe which is what i was expecting it ends up being a much deeper story um and just as as a woman i wanted to say that i love the workplace scenes where she's just a boss bitch in power yes it's it, that's really fun to see yeah, I mean those scenes, I mean we didn't really talk about them, but those scenes are absolutely fantastic and kind of worth the cost of admission just to see her kind yeah. of rule in that in that realm, you know, and I I think there's a lot of scenes Shut that that throw gender kind of right on their head in that scene where she's kind of attacked mm-hmm. by these men in her workplace and she just totally calmly shuts them down and shocks them. You know, I think they're assuming Mm -hmm. because she's a woman, she's weaker and is not going to want to see the violence and the sex. And she's like, what are you guys doing? Ramp it Mm. up. Like, this is what we're here for. You know, and I just I, you know, it's another level in just a one of the best performances of the year to me. Absolutely. And this is a woman who, who will not feel shame. She will not be shamed by others. She can. She seems capable of feeling shame about her own behavior, right. but she refuses to be shamed by others. And I think that's a really empowering thing to get to watch. Right. So I just had one last question before for you before yeah. we finish up. The movie ends with her moving in with her best friend, who and she has slept with her best friend's partner. How did you How did you feel about that relationship wrapping up? And did that work for you? Did that make sense <laughs> in any way to you? Almost slept with her best friend. Yeah. I'm not sure it made sense within the movie, but it made sense to me within the context of ships and female changes may happen in our lives, but the the people who know you the best, the people who accept you at your at your your worst are female friends. And I, I do you know, this is not a female friendship movie, but what a great <laughs> message to go out on. Um 
you know, when someone has seen you at your absolute worst, um, and yet they still accept you. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I, I do like that the movie ends on a pseudo positive note because it is so dark and so horrible on so many levels. It's good that we have this ending where you feel like, okay, mm-hmm. she might be all right. You know, she's left some of the sh- the things she's ashamed of in the past yeah. and she's going to move forward. I think that's good. All right. Um, so I think I think we've uh, covered mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. uh, enough, I think. And thank you again for being on the show. One more time before you go, why don't you let people know uh, the name of the website and maybe how to reach you on Twitter? Yeah, the website is Audiences Everywhere. Um, and on Twitter, my handle is Dreamsong7 or Dreamsong77. If you're a John Berryman poetry fan, Dreamsong77. Hello, I'm Andrew. And I'm Bernadette, and we're the AB Film Review. We're a weekly film review and discussion podcast from Perth, Western Australia. We're a married couple who like to spend our Saturday evenings avoiding reality by discussing and often arguing about the latest films and some classics. And getting closer to divorce. Uh, you can find us on the Podbros Network at podbros.com, also on Twitter at AB Film Review, Facebook AB Film Review, and our website abfilmreview.com. That's a lot of ABs. That's it. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Fangirl Fixation with Brit. Say hello, Brit. Mm-mm. Okay, don't say hello. All right, so this week, uh, as promised, um, when we were on our break, we are starting a new segment on Fangirl Fixation, which is Brit's Film Education. So there are hundreds and hundreds of movies that I keep telling Brit, you haven't seen that? Oh my God, yeah. how have I not showed you that? Yeah, since, since before we were dating. Yes, that's how I drew you in. No, it's um, not. So, let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> so so we're going to start watching some of these movies together so I can finally stop saying, oh my God, how have you not seen that movie? I don't know. I don't. I think I want you to still have the same expression on your face with West Side Story every single time. <laughs> so you're never going to watch West Side Story? Or Rent. All right. Um, I think West Side Story is more important. But, uh, and we're also going to try, if we can, to tie it somehow to the movies we're talking about that week. So this week we're going to be talking about L on the on the previous section of the show. So in order to tie that in, we took another kind of like sexual thriller, I guess. Yeah, L. Um, I'm not allowed to watch ever. No, you're not. Um, so we watched uh, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. So Britt, do you remember what your first words were after the movie? Because I do. No. Why does that guy make such fucking weird movies? Were your exact words. (laughs) So, given that reaction, what were your thoughts on Eyes Wide Shut? What was it like to finally watch it for the first time? Uh, Well, I think some of it's just weird for me because I kept having this moment of like, is this what regular people think like poly and BDSM is like? I don't think so. I think it's more about like obsession and envy and i think it's symbolic i don't, I don't the whole underground like sex party thing i was just like oh hey, maybe that's what new york is like you don't know you don't live there it's true i, I don't i don't <laughs> i don't know what the new york scene is like at all right um yeah so i kept having that moment of just like wow this is like some white male fantasy bullshit i mean i think it is and i think it isn't I think that whole scene with Nicole Kidman talking about like, oh, if you men only knew. Right. You know, I think it's it's designed to to like deflate the white male fantasy that is being shown. It is, but it, but that's what I'm saying though, is like the the majority of the movie is visually that visually, fantasy. Sure. sure. Because and I like think he keeps we're get, following him. Right. right. But and and the the fact that he keeps getting driven back to that fantasy, like with the hooker and then with mm-hmm. the party and all that. Yeah, because hell he keeps, of one night, man. Yeah, because he, he keeps, keeps seeing in, like <laughs> he keeps seeing what the reality could have been. Sure. sure. You know, like when he finally snaps and is jealous and mm-hmm. all that. So yeah, I don't know. And I kept getting distracted like when they were doing like the, the walk through the house where mm-hmm. I'm just like they're not even like simulating sex. They're just like bouncing. That's ridiculous <laughs> looking. That nothing is happening there. <laughs> Bitch is gonna fall off that bench. So why do you think this movie is seen as a great film? Do you think it is? First of all, would you term this great? It's an audio podcast. Yeah, I know. I was. Th- <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> 
I have, I mean, like, I have a, I mean, you know, already know that I have a set bias against Stanley Kubrick and, and Martin Scorsese, thanks to an ex. So right. sure. it's um, also because Dave didn't warn me this was going to be a two hour and 40 minute movie. I forgot. I was not, so I was not mentally prepared for the amount of time I was investing in this. Sure. Um, so I think with that, sometimes my mind wanders a little Stop bit. Stop dodging. Is it a great movie or not? You're just trying to get me in trouble with fried chicken. No, no, no. It's yeah. one of his favorites, but I know. his opinions are sometimes not so great, so... I have a hard time saying one way or another, because as usual, it's visually stunning. Mm. Well, it's Kubrick, yeah. Um, The music score is amazing, and yes. like it, it has a really good way of building the suspense, which I think is not done well in most movies now yeah i mean it's like i mean the term slow burn has been used kind of almost as an insult the last decade or so yeah but this is a slow burn this is how you do it because every scene you're just waiting and waiting and kind of on the edge of your seat right so i think there's like i i don't i think i'd have to watch it again to like have a full opinion on it Mm. um because i think there's elements that make it good but can i say that like in all honesty, that it's like a great film. I don't know. So what are the things that make it good to you? What did what did you enjoy about it? Pretty much the things that I just listed off. It was pretty. Okay. What about the performances? What did you think of Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise? Because that was the big deal when this movie was first coming out. was like we're having two of the biggest stars in the world in basically a movie all about sex. Yeah. So people were really excited to see this. So. Yeah, I mean, um, like we talked about it during the movie, but like... Tom Cruise gave some really amazing silent scenes. Like he, he doesn't was, do a lot. Yeah, and <laughs> so. that was considering the crazy slope that he has gone down. It was refreshing yeah. to be reminded that he could act. Yeah, I mean, this was like kind of during this. Mike has talked about this a lot on his show, but it's during this period of time where he was working with all these amazing directors. Like he did this, and then he worked with Paul Thomas Anderson and Magnolia. Like he just, it, it's. I think it's easy for superstars like him to rest on their laurels and just do whatever. But it was kind of cool to see him kind of bounce around and work with these amazing kind of artistic directors and take risks. Cause this movie is risky yeah, for a star to, to do. So it was cool to see him in something that wasn't, you know, Top Gun days of thunder. And even later in his career, mission impossible, right? you know, doing something risky. What about Nicole Kidman? Um, I think I liked her performance the most, mostly because she, was still being the stereotypical like hot girl like that like that that was one of the main yeah that was one of the main plot points right mm-hmm. not only um for Tom Cruise's character but then the guy at the party and so like right. it kept getting like hammered home that like she's a stunning woman so then having these scenes where she's completely breaking down yeah. and for most of the movie she's not made up like she's yeah. a mom with her hair tied back and the glasses and and there was like there was some very interesting things that she was doing with her cadence mm-hmm. that was throwing me off. Yeah. Um, just because that's that's not what I'm used to seeing her with do. Her. Yeah. So absolutely. it was nice to see her do more of a raw performance, I guess. Yeah. I mean, without her having prosthetics on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think she owns every scene she's in. Like there's not a moment because she is a minor character in the film in comparison to the character of the husband. It really is his story and she's there in very certain sequences. But every time she's on screen, like you're just riveted. To her. And I think it says something about... She's got the monologues. You right. Know? And I think it says something about her performance because for most of the one when they're smoking, it's like mm. she's in a tank top that is completely see-through yeah. and I kept forgetting her titties were on display. And that's something. I mean, yeah. Because she, like, <laughs> she was still powerful in, in those moments, which was really interesting. I thought that scene maybe was like her switch to being upset was maybe the tiniest bit rushed, but it did feel real because sometimes... Arguments with your significant other go like that. Like, everything's going I don't, fine. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> of about. Of course you don't. And then something flips, and it's just like, nope, this is not okay anymore. Especially when you, you know, throw drugs into the equation, too. Throw They're drugs kinda... and jealousy and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So did you have, like, a favorite scene or a couple favorite moments from the movie that really you feel like are going to stick with you? Because I think that, more than anything for me, is the mark of a great movie, is if, if a movie stays with you. Uh... The scene where she flips out, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, where she just like, and I don't know, there was, there was something like oddly sweet but heartbreaking where she was like, I would have left you, but in that moment I loved you more than I ever thought I could. It was, like, I mean, it's a hard, it's a difficult scene 
to watch. Like it's uncomfortable. Yeah. The realness of that, of how that's. Written. I need to stop watching movies with relationships. All movies have relationships. I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. <laughs> that's how it works. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I think because like we watched La La Land so recently, like the whole jazz. Uh, oh. <laughs> that's hilarious. Like that kind of got that kind of got stuck it. in my head. I could see that though. Yeah, absolutely. So you also talked about earlier, like there's a lot of things you like, but you're not ready to call it great. Is there anything that stands out to you that you didn't like? Was it just the the kind of visual male fantasy aspect that kind of took you out of it, or were there other things that it's, bothered you? I mean, it's that's the that's the main point. And then with having connections in other communities, like it's mm. sometimes hard for me to see like how people try to represent things or what they think might be mm-hmm. real. Sure. Um. So that always gets a little touchy for me because then I'm like, uh, like just like with Fifty Shades of Grey, like no, no, that's not. But I. But to to give this movie credit, I will say that Fifty Shades of Grey is trying to say we are this, right? Whereas this is just something forbidden, right? You know, so it's not saying like we are BDSM, we are this, we are that. It's just like this is something so different from this character's life that it shocks him. Yes, but I there's still an element of shame to the sexuality, and that's I think that's why I can't like quite place my finger on it because mm. they have this undertone of shame, but then like the end of the movie is as soon as possible we need to fuck. Mm-hmm. So it's like what what is your actual message? Like that's that's well, that's a good question. What do you think the message is? I don't know. That's why I just asked. What is your actual <laughs> message? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not Stanley Kubrick. I think it's a movie of, say, so when I first saw it um, in the theaters, like, I actually wasn't terribly impressed with it. Um, I didn't like it much. But on rewatch, I think it grows. So it's interesting you say, like, you wanted to watch it again, because I think it probably does, it does get better on mm-hmm. rewatch. Um, but I think it's, I don't think it's giving a particular message. I think it's, it's talking about how complicated and messy and ugly relationships can be. Like, I, I love that the way it ends is they haven't fixed anything. Right. They haven't solved anything. They've just agreed to just like, let's put this in the past and let's try to move forward. But they need physically, the two of them physically need to connect. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's that's what she's saying at the end of the movie. But I think there's a lot of ways you can read that. You know, that last line. Like, what does it mean? Are they going to get better? Or are they going to get worse? And you really don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, so any final words on Eyes Wide Shut? Are you are you glad you watched it? Are you okay with continuing with your film education after watching Eyes Wide Shut? I'm glad I watched it. I do have like so I have one like nitpicky thing though, is okay. that um all the girls had the same body type. Yeah, yeah. And that was like I was like Ugh. There's definitely a, there's definitely the model type going on. Yeah. So that was I mean like even like most of them had like the same shaped breasts and everything, mm-hmm. and that was kind of just like this squeaked me a little bit. Sure. Um, not body shaming, obviously. But just, just I would variety. like I would like more representation right. in films like this. Sure. Because it like I think that also like gives a message that only that body type is sexually arousing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean I can definitely see that. Um I think I looked at it as this especially the party scenes are all meant to be perfectly staged right. and presentational. So I think that's what he was going for. Like, I totally get what you're saying. And I totally agree that there does need to be more representation and it would make it more interesting if we had variety in this film. And we get a little bit of it. There's these kind of scenes where they're walking from room to room and you see different things. Like you see gay relationships, you know, you see, you know, women dressed in suits, you know, with other naked women. And yeah. You get a little bit of that. So I like that there is variety there. But you're right. As far as body type, there was a lot of similarity. I don't know how much of that is because we're trying to figure out if this is reality or something that he's making up. Mm. Because if that's his preferred body type, it would make sense that the mm. fantasy has that same body to look type. At it. Yeah, absolutely. But anyways. And I think this is one of those movies where you can go a thousand different directions, which is something I love about it. And I think you could say that about a lot of Kubrick movies. So that's my last question about this movie for you. You've seen five or six Kubrick movies. Yes. Where does this rank? Is this like the best you've seen is this the worst you've seen somewhere in the middle probably somewhere in the middle i mean nothing's gonna be- beat nipples of glory anymore so are you serious do you think that's the that's the best your favorite no. kubrick movie what no. is your favorite kubrick um 
Probably Clockwork Orange. Okay. Um, not just because of the milk bar. Uh, <laughs> Liar. <laughs> I mean, it helps. Um, the, I think I like the darker tone of that, like visually mm. and just the story of it. Um, and that it wasn't something that had... I mean, I don't think most of his stories have a neat little bow at the end of it. Um, but I think I think I would argue Clockwork Orange has a neater bow around it than any of his other movies. Well, they, but that's what I was going to say is like yeah. this is like that's one of the few movies that does kind of get wrapped up, and I think more because it came from a book. Actually, uh, the ending of the book is totally different, and Anthony Burgess, the author, hates that movie because they changed the ending. Oh, I know, so, but I'm just I'm just saying like I think because he based it off of a book, that's why he kind of like set to have yeah. an ending where you can wrap it up. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I do actually like Nipples of Glory though. No, that it's a good really movie. Good. It absolutely is. I just didn't especially because like. Above Metal Jacket or Clockwork Orange or The Shining. So, okay, well, so with, I'm torn on Full Metal Jacket because there's, uh, well, first of all, I was forced to watch it. Yeah, it's also like almost like two separate movies. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. And like, that's really hard for me because there were, there were a lot of things that I liked in parts of the movies, but Mm. as a cohesive movie, I didn't like it. Um, The Shining, I mean, it's a classic horror movie at this point, but I think also it's, so much in pop culture that mm, it's, it's hard to take it's, seriously yeah now. it's lost a lot of edge for me yeah it's one of those i'm glad i saw before that like yeah. i think i saw it when i was like 13 or 14 and i never i didn't know anything about it i just kind of walked in blind to it and it terrified me because jack nicholson is horrifying in that movie um so i think that probably sits at the top of my top of my list as far as kubrick movies but eyes wide shut for me is not far behind so be interesting in like a year or two we'll like put it on again and see what you think <laughs> like how you're like gonna wait a year yeah, or two you know it's almost three hours long like I'm not says gonna... the guy who loves lawrence arabia that's right one of the best movies ever made all right um so uh that's it for eyes wide shut that's it for brit's film education for this week so now we'll close out the show by talking Fee. about sorry the... <laughs> what effie it's it's the bfe brett's film education um so we're going to talk about of course the movies coming out this week one actually we're going to talk about has already come out we'll save that for the very end um so um the first movie coming out is uh, a dog's purpose which you know just hearing today's news as we're recording a little bit early it's uh it's kind of scandalous because it ends up that maybe it looks like um some animals were harmed during the production of this movie, a movie whose tagline is, uh, what was it? Um, the ones we rescue, rescue us. Yeah, something like, like that. It's just like, it's supposed to be about taking care of dogs and them taking care of you and you're harming them on your set. Uh, oh, does that mean they're going to remove that little line at the end of the movie, like in the credits, like no animals are harmed during this? Actually, somebody brought that up. Like, you better not have that in the credits because we know that's not true now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this movie is a movie um, that I didn't really want to see anyway. Uh, because it was just like, I don't really like to watch dogs dying at all in movies. Um, cause I ruined him by having dogs. It's true. Um, although even before that, like, it's just, I don't like seeing animals hurt. Like it's just, ugh. I mean, it's the first mark of a serial killer. I don't, I don't need to watch that. Um, but this, you know, of course the story is just kind of like this dog keeps getting reincarnated. So we're going to watch him die. Like five times. I don't need that shit in my life. Like <laughs> I remember when this trailer came on, I just looked at Dave and was like, nope. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. not good. So what did you think of the trailer? Like, take out the fact that you know this dog is going to die over and over again. What did you think of the actual trailer? Because to me, it looks like schmaltzy crap, but it would probably make me cry. Like, I know it's a terrible movie, Who but it would still Who the hell have me. you been talking to lately that you use the word schmaltzy? schmaltzy? Yeah, well, I'm trying to expand my vo- vocabulary. So what did you think of the trailer? Um, if we took out the dog dying, I'd probably watch it. Right. Because dogs. Because dogs, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks cute. It looks sweet. Um, it does. It looks but... like a Lifetime movie. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it's probably not something I would have rushed out to the theater to go see. You, who's, who's my character? Dennis Quaid? Yeah, like I think that's right. Yeah. I, like, I can't take him seriously anymore. Why? Ever since Dragonheart. That's all I see him as. <laughs> Jesus. I'm sure he's so happy that that's how he's remembered. That's what he gets. <laughs> Dragonheart. Oh, God. That movie is not And Remus Lupin was in that. Yes. So is Sean Connery. Yep. Um so uh, that's a big no. I think I think it was already a no, but with this news, even it's with the corgi, like, you can't you can't entice me. Yeah, I mean, with this news, it's just kind of disgusting, and I can't. I'm not going to support anything that harms animals. That. No. Yeah. Uh, the next movie uh, is soon to be a classic. I'm sure. Resident Evil: The Final Chapter. I want her motorcycle. I'm sure you do. Oh my um, god! So these I movies, would die in like five seconds, but it's fine. <laughs> you die happy? Is that what you're yeah, saying? that's what I'm saying. 
So these movies, Resident Evil, they're all fucking terrible. They're bad movies. Um, but I still get so much enjoyment out of them. They're so ridiculous, but I love Mila Jovovich. So Well, you love the Blade movies too, so that's not surprising. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> Blade 1 and Blade 2 are great. Blade 2 is directed by Guillermo del Toro, and I will not hear a bad word about it. Those are like, those, they make, they make, uh, these movies make uh, Blade look like Citizen Kane, okay? Uh, so, <laughs> Resident, Evil, Resident Evil, you are a huge fan. I know, because uh, the reason I watched them was because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, that is what happens when you date and then marry a geek girl. It's true. Though I'm, I gotta give my gamer card back, apparently. No, you don't. So, um, you just don't have time. It happens. So, are you excited about the final chapter of Resident Evil? And I, do you believe okay. it is the final chapter? We'll see. Um, all I am really hoping for out of this movie mm-hmm. is that they redeem that piece of shit last one on the ship. pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Because I love Even Resident Evil series, movies. Like, they bad. are totally my guilty pleasure, just right up there with the uh, the Lycans. Oh, God, with Underworld? Yeah. So, like, it's totally <laughs> guilty pleasure, like, franchise for me. But I remember walking out of the third movie and just shaking my head the whole time. Like, you I saw almost. That in the theater? Yeah, I saw it with my dad. <laughs> Uh, and I was just like, "What the uh, fuck just happened? What did I just experience?" Um, yeah, so so I because of that, I am going into this one with lower expectations than usual for a game movie to begin with. Right. Um, but I hope that it will redeem itself from that. And I it am almost has to right, like it can't possibly be as bad. I am excited they're they're going back to um, Umbrella Corp, and because Hotness is back, so who? Uh, hmm, I don't remember the name. What is he in? Tomb Raider, that titties and dragon show. <laughs> so he's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, okay. he's Jorah. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, you love that guy. You love that guy's voice. He's got a yeah. good voice. Yeah, and he's in a suit. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, God, I can't remember his name either. Whatever doesn't matter. <laughs> he was also in Eye in the Sky this year, and I can't remember his name to save my life. Um, so, uh, it sounds like that's a yes for you, unbelievably. <laughs> well, um, Mila Jokovic and him, yes. Yeah, fair no enough. No kiss. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, the third movie coming out is Gold, uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Oscar winner. Um, so, and also starring Edgar Ramirez, which is the only thing good about this movie, as far as I can tell. And I just tipped my hand as to what I think about this movie. Uh, and I think, um, what's her name? Uh, the one who was in Jurassic World um ron howard's kid uh is in this bryce dallas howard is also in it not looking great because she's is she the blonde yeah oh man she yeah. looks like shit <laughs> okay <laughs> you're the worst uh, <laughs> although i'm like she's not looking great she looks like shit um so uh what did you think of this trailer since i've already said that i think it looks like shit you gotta, you gotta <laughs> talk, man. You can't be dumbfounded. <laughs> I know it's bad. <laughs> I'm trying to find words, and I don't have any. Um, I unfortunately had to rewatch this trailer because I couldn't because it was so bad. I blocked it out. Um. So yeah, I think that says enough about what I think about this. Okay. Um, what are your feelings on McConaughey in general? I think he was good in True Detective. Mm-hmm. And I really liked him in that movie that everybody hates about space. Oh, Interstellar. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I I'll feel just fill in the name yeah. Of shit. <laughs> I feel like he's essentially just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I totally agree. But, and I think that's why and those seen Days and Confused, right? No, that's you got to add that to the list. It should be on the list. Yeah, because he's great in that. Legitimately great. All right, all right, all exactly. right. Okay, that's the other movie I like him in. I like him in um, Magic Mike. Magic Mike? Okay, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, he was yeah. good in that. Absolutely. That's all I need from you. Take off your shirt and shut the fuck up. Yeah, but not how he's looking in this. No, know, no. And like, okay, so so the way that this makes me feel is like Christian Bale, um, how he looks mm. for... Uh, yeah, I hated that movie too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> American Hustle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, that's what it looks like. It basically looks like the same damn character... But it's Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it does kind of look like that. I can see that. And, like, there's nothing I care about with this movie. Why should I care about somebody trying to get rich in the middle of the forest who's a scumbag? Yeah. I just, uh, I'll just look at Edgar Ramirez if I see that movie. That's all I care about. Because he's good looking. So, it's good. So, is, like, your fantasy right now for Maz Mickelson and him to make a movie together? Uh, that would work for me. <laughs> but if you could give me a Mads Mickelson Idris Elba movie, 
Now we're fucking talking. No, we already talked about this, and you said you didn't know if you could handle that because we couldn't I decide. Would happy. We couldn't it's decide fine. who would be top and who would be bottom. I don't care. They could switch. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Or I could be in the middle. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Dave sandwich. <laughs> That's right. Perfect. Well, <laughs> I think it would have to be an Idris Elba sandwich if you're going to make it OCD right. No, I don't care. Are you Are you making an Oreo joke right now? What are you doing? Yes. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, so the last movie we're going to talk about, and thank God above, we are not covering it. No, we're going to. I'm going to make him go. No, no, we'll go, but I'm not covering it on the show. We'll, we'll make talk him talk about, about it. We'll talk about it talk in Fangirl Fixation. That's fine. Yeah. So this week, um, <laughs> Brett is trying to touch the microphone. No, uh, there's a hair sticking <laughs> off of it. It's been bugging me. Wait till the show's time. over. All right. So um, Split. Just came out. Um, so, <laughs> Split, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, oh, God, I'm going to really hate this movie. Starring James McAvoy. Why didn't I know it was him? James McAvoy, who I love. I just think he's fantastic and beautiful to look at as well. Um, so, Brett, get it together. So, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> You're killing me. All right. So this is essentially a movie about someone with dissociative identity disorder, otherwise known as multiple personality, um, but has kidnapped these girls and there's going to be a 24th personality that's going to come out called The Beast. Um, So um, this movie is going to be really hard for me to watch, to be honest. And here's the thing that bugs me is I actually think it's going to be good. I actually think I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm going to have to shut off everything I know about psychology like all of my training i have to just let it all go and it's going to be really difficult (laughs) what is wrong with you i don't know (laughs) okay i'll wait i was just thinking of like when we first watched that trailer and the one thing that you zoomed in on was that she has a master's degree (laughs) okay so in my defense this is not a thing of like, oh, masters, field masters of degree are worthless. It's not that. It's the fact that the way psychology is oriented, people with master's degree take simpler cases and people with PhDs and PsyDs take more complicated cases. And I cannot possibly think of a more complicated case than someone with 24 fucking personalities. 23. Yeah, but the 24th is coming. I know. So, so why would a master's level clinician have that case? It would never fucking happen. Ever. So it immediately kind of set my teeth on edge and just like... This is horrible. Like, I can't... And honestly, the thing I'm most worried about is that there's a lot of examples in in film of people with mental disorders being seen as violent. Yeah. And this is one more example. And granted, I've I've been taken to task uh, about this on Twitter. And in the trailer, they make it clear that this is not a quote-unquote normal case. But I don't think that viewers are smart enough to tell the difference. And they're gonna, and if they meet someone with multiple personality disorder, they're gonna think they're violent. Exist, they're gonna go, oh, I, I saw a movie about that because people are fucking dumb. It's the same way they treat people who have schizophrenia. They're like, oh, well, they're gonna kill somebody, and really, people with mental disorders are much more likely to hurt themselves than other people. Mm-hmm. So that part is upsetting. So I'm gonna have to kind of try and compartmentalize all that to enjoy this movie because I do really like James McAvoy, and I actually think uh, Shyamalan has good movies in him. It's just like, it's kind of a crapshoot right now. It's kind of a 50-50 thing. So Dave's education on movies is seeing crap movies. So the happening is going to have to happen. <sighs> Fuck. <laughs> Don't make me hate movies. You're well, the and then we have to do both the Death Race movies. Anyway, focus. I am what did you, no, you're not. What did you think of, uh, of the trailer for Split? And excuse me, are you excited about Santa? I'm excited to watch your reaction. It's kind of sausage like sausage party all over again, is motherfucker. It sausage party, and then, but it's also like kind of how um, you felt while watching me watch The Secret Life of Pets. Yes. Though I think I will like have some enjoyment out of this. I'm kind of interested in seeing how many different skirts we can get James McAvoy in. And out of yeah. What? <laughs> um, it'll also be interesting to see him in a role like this because I feel like he's been playing the good guy a lot lately like he's been yeah, Xavier I, mean, I, I think and... the last time I saw him play a pseudo bad guy was like in Wanted maybe I don't even he think starts, he was well he starts out as a good guy and then goes into the kind of I darkness. would say he was an anti-hero in that though yeah that's true like that's so true. not so, a full-on villain so it'll be interesting sure. to see and it'll also be interesting to see his range yeah 
Um, and it's going to be tough because some of that can come off as really comical. Right. And it can't. I mean, it can't be funny the whole time because otherwise you're not, there's no sticks. Right. For these three girls. So it's going to be tough, but I'm actually kind of looking forward to it, um, but not really looking forward to like talking about it on podcasts. So there's that. <laughs> Because Mike desperately wants me to talk about Split. Yeah, This is as good as you're getting, Mike. So I hope you're No, listening. no, no. I'll break them for you. <laughs> all right. Um, so that's all the movies coming out this week. We'll actually be covering um, a different movie because uh, we're heavy into Oscar mode. So we're taking a look at um, The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, which Martin Scorsese's movie to tie in with Silence. And my God, what are you looking at? The little lines. Okay, good. Uh, any any final things you want to bring up for this episode before we close out? Mm, no. No? Okay, good. All right, um, so that's it for this week. Until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off video because I think my signal is probably not great because I'm in a hotel. Um, okay. Just okay. I'm not like, oh, I don't want to see your face. It's just <laughs> it's just for connection purposes. I promise. I actually did not know this was going to be a video call or I would have gotten out of my pajamas. Yeah, oh, don't bother. It's so not <laughs> worth it. So not worth it. Don't try to change me.